everybody and welcome to Wellbeing in Focus, a podcast where I interview top experts in well-being, happiness and parenthood. My name is Gabriela Campelli-Ignat and I'm your host. Today my guest is Antoinette Villamil, Director of Many Mothers, an organization in Santa Fe, New Mexico, providing support to all local families with babies free of charge. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Antoinette. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you so much, Gabriela. So can you please tell me a little bit more about Many Mothers? What is it that you do and how it all started? Sure. Yeah, thank you. Many Mothers was founded in Santa Fe in uh, 1992. The director, her name was Anne McCormick. She saw that, you know, families were having babies, um, didn't have a community support system in place um, when they oh, when they had their new babies. So she, you know, she started looking around the community and realized that Santa Fe has a high population of uh, retired people. And she essentially started training volunteers, mostly uh, retiree ages that were uh, trained to go into the homes and offer hands-on support to families when they have a new baby. So, you know, sort of like your aunt or your grandmother that so many families with new babies just didn't have. And been around now uh, for 30 years. Um, we've really expanded the scope of the services we provide in the last few years, uh, particularly during COVID. So we still train families who, you know, go. so each family uh, receives um, a volunteer who is trained to offer them non-judgmental support. And the volunteer goes into each family's home for about 36 hours over 12 weeks. So about uh, three hours a week, just to offer, you know, hands-on care, guidance, you know, help out uh, with a a load of dishes or laundry, um, and really just, you know, listen and validate the challenges that new parents face. And then in addition to matching families with a volunteer, we have um, several other programs. Some are available to all families and some are available to families that meet certain income um, guidelines. So this is quite a revolutionary idea that anyone with a baby is eligible for support and uh, to come up with this idea, I think uh, Anne McCormick is quite a visionary to identify such a need. I think there is a huge need for that. And this already happened in the 90s that you have been operating for 30 years. Yes. What made her realize? Do you know? that Was there a personal story there? I do know that the um, the first name of um, the organization instead of many mothers was Muchas Mamas, um, the Spanish version. And so from what I can tell, you know, from some of the records we have, Anne was trying as much as possible to support families that, you know, came to the U.S. and didn't um, speak in English, you know, families that came here from Mexico or um, Latin America. And from there, she, you know, she saw that, you know, it's not just newly um, immigrated families, it um, was everybody that needed that care um, and support. Yes. I think in the 20th century, in the past few decades, really the extended families have broken up and people are traveling for work, people are traveling, uh, moving different cities, different countries sometimes, and all those traditional support networks have broken down that new mm-hmm. mothers used to rely on. Right, right. I mean, that's what I found in my own experience, you know. I mean, I had moved to um, a new place with my new husband and, you know, we didn't have any any family within a thousand miles. And I mean, you're right. I, I think that's something that just, you know, really started. And I, I don't know, I mean, the seventies, eighties, you know, where, where these, you would have 
multiple generations of family that were, you know, there, you know, and the grandmothers could impart, you know, knowledge on the, you know, on the new moms. And we just don't have that. And so, you know, what many mothers strives to do is, um, yeah, just create that um, community support, you know, sort of give you that same support that your family used to give you that you might not have access to now. So how does it work in practice? Someone who is pregnant expecting a baby, is that when they go and do they register with you or do you get referrals to people? How is How does it work? Yeah, a number um, of different ways. You know, some some families, I mean, hear about us when they're uh, when they're pregnant and you know, and they'll reach out to us and get on our list. Sometimes we have families, you know, that don't hear about us until their children are um, six months or a year old. Um, we do receive referrals from local, you know, clinics, hospitals, um, social media, uh, word of mouth. I can tell you right now, we just started supporting a mom. Um, it's a really heartbreaking story. It's a, a family. Um, the baby is seven months old. Mom died of COVID about two weeks ago. Yeah. And so, you know, she left behind um, a seven month old daughter. Her name is Star. And the aunt or the mother's sister, um, you know, her got a call that, you know, her her sister had passed and left a baby. And so the aunt just moved here and we've been, you know, uh, just coordinating uh, with volunteers and, um, you know, just people out in the community. And actually I had my, we received a list from the aunt of, you know, all all of the items that she needed. And I told my, my next door neighbor about it. And she and a friend went out over the weekend and spent, you know, $250 buying the baby, you know, a crib and a diaper pail and clothes and I mean, everything the baby needs. So there are a lot of, you know, difficult stories. Um, and yet I'm, I'm just, I'm always amazed and, and just really heartened to hear how the community comes together yes. to offer the support to families. But yeah, um, I'm sorry to answer your um, original question. Yeah, families hear about us uh, from a number of different um, avenues and um, reach out to us uh, for support. That must be a really what you do, a beacon of hope in a situation mm-hmm. that you just described because it's it's hard enough to cope with the passing of a, a sister and then have to look after a, a seven-month-old baby and not knowing what resources there are. And, you know, she obviously wasn't prepared for having a, a baby. And that's where you come in and you kind of help her navigate these choppy waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And it's, um, I mean, well, you know this, just just how, you know, these days just I feel like being a parent is, I don't know why, but it's hard harder than ever you know there's mm-hmm. so many um i think it's it's hard to as you know one person two parents just to be i mean everything that your child needs yeah. um and so you know if we can get you know friends neighbors um the community involved in the child rearing process as it should be as it used to be yes. um i mean we have to do that because it's 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 just essential for i think the the whole community to be healthy but you know especially for children yes absolutely it does take a village to raise a child and it does take a village to support the parent absolutely so some of your programs uh, are free of charge and everybody is eligible like the maternal support program but you also have some programs that are for income eligible families can you please tell me more about those as well yeah 
Yeah, that really started um, during the pandemic. So right now we say that our maternal support program um, is sort of the flagship program. So families who want um, support from us need to be enrolled in that program matched uh, with a volunteer. And then when our staff, um, when we first hear from a family, um, we uh, we go into their home and uh, we do an intake and assessment on the interview, just um, get to know the family, um, get to know the home. Um, and then while we're there, we figure out what are the resources the families might need um, access to. And so that's how these other programs developed. Um, So based on families' needs, we have a uh, navigation pathway. So families who are matched with a volunteer and who also need support with, you know, say it's rent help, utilities, safety, food, our staff can work with them one-on-one and help match them with the community resources that they need. In addition, we also um, we have a safe sleep program where we provide families with the latest research-backed education to ensure their babies are sleeping in a healthy and safe way so that we reduce the incidence of sudden infant death syndrome. For income-eligible families, we're able to give them a free uh, crib. Um, and we just uh, received a grant this year to be able to do that. This program had kind of in, um, had sort of ended last year, um, and we just received grant funding again for that. So there's navigation, safe sleep. um, And then during the pandemic, we started, you know, we saw when everything shut down, you know, two years ago, March 2020, we saw how many families were just hanging on by a thread, and that thread was cut. And families, they didn't have access to food. Uh, They didn't have access to diapers because they didn't have any income. So we are able to do basic needs distributions. We partner with local farms, um, diaper banks, you know, churches, schools um, who do diaper drives for us. And about once a month, we do food and diaper distributions to families who are at the lower end of the income scale. Which services are needed the most? What do you think? Is it uh, food and diapers or is it more the emotional support and practical help, just roughly as an estimate? You know, I think, um, I think these days, unfortunately, both. You know, I think the I mean, like I said, you know, the the families that were hanging on by a thread, they, you know, they haven't been able to catch up. And so, um, you you know, the right now, the price of healthy food and diapers has just gone up much more than wages have. So we do have a number of families reaching out for that support. But yeah, just that emotional connection. I mean, that's, that's one of the things we probably hear the most is, you know, People are grateful for a volunteer who can come and, you know, hold the baby so they can take a nap or help out around the house a little bit. But more than anything, they just, if you're, you know, a stay-at-home single mom with two or three kids, you just want another adult to talk to. And I think someone who can just validate that, you know, you're doing an okay job. Um, That's, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I remember, you know, when my son was little and I, you know, I was just, I was struggling. There was, there was no one there to say, you know, he's crying a lot, but you're not doing anything wrong. You know, he, he's okay. And you're doing a good job. That's yeah. That's, that's one of the the needs we see fam. The, that's one of the things we see families need the most. And I don't think they know to ask for that or even how to ask for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Or oh, they probably don't even know until they get that support and then they fear that this is what was missing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you provide training for the volunteers or 
do they need to have a certain background to be able to work with you? Yes and yes. Um, yeah, we, we do provide. So when the volunteers reach out to us, we do a one-on-one, -on -one, um, about an hour-long interview with them just to get to know them, you know, look for any uh, red flags, um, just be sure they're a good match um, and get to know their personality. Because when we do a match, you know, we, we want to match the, the personalities as much as possible. Then yeah. after that, um, they do a four-hour volunteer uh, training with us. We go over all of the the basics of the kind of support we provide, you know, the kind of things that we don't provide. And then again, just because the volunteers and the families, you know, the, the volunteer enters the family's home at a really intimate and vulnerable time, you yes. know? And so we need to prepare the volunteers for that. And one of the things we emphasize the most is they are there to provide non-judgmental support. They're not there to go into the home and, you know, look around and say, oh, you know, your house is messy or, you know, you should do this uh, with your baby, but, but they can meet the family where the family is at and try to, you know, gently encourage and, and, and guide them without judgment. And that's hard for a lot of people because, you know, we, you know, we naturally judge. So we, we get to know them well during that training. Then after that, we match them with a family, you know, based on, personality, location, needs, schedule, um, a number of different factors. And then you asked the second part of your question, which I forgot now. Do they need to have a certain background when mm. and this uh, training? Yeah, you know, we, we um, more than anything, they, you know, just need to be uh, generous and compassionate and as much as possible, non-judgmental. And they need to have, you know, at least some experience with babies. Mm -hmm. Now that said, most of our volunteers just naturally come from the helping profession. So we have a number of retired social workers, teachers, doctors, nurses. And then one of the great things about the matches is that we can, based on the volunteer's skill set and the family's needs, we can make a really good match. Um, and so the volunteers are never in the home in a professional capacity. They're there as a volunteer, but they can bring their skills. For example, um, we have a board member and a volunteer who's just lovely. He's a man. Uh, he's a retired pediatric nurse practitioner. And a couple years ago, a stay-at-home dad reached out to us. Mom had gone back to work and the baby had um, really severe developmental delays and was having just multiple seizures, you know, many, I mean, seven or eight seizures a day. So our we were able to match the volunteer with someone with a medical background who, you know, was not there as a professional, but because he had that background, the dad just felt much more secure having the volunteer there with, with him. Yes. yes, I can imagine that. What has been the feedback from the families who use your services? You know, I mean, overwhelmingly families are very pleased, you know, they, they feel, um, they feel held, um, if you will, yeah. and, and, and supported by, by the services. And, um, I know one mom we worked with, I think last year, her, in her words, she said, you know, many mothers was a lifesaver to my mental health because she was, you know, her husband worked, you know, 50 hours a week. She was home alone, you know, with a, with a baby that cried a lot. And she just, you know, she felt there was someone else there just to witness and validate and, um, yeah, really hold space for the care that, not only the baby needed, but that she as the mom needed. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think very often it's the parent who needs the support and then they can be the, the parent they need to be to the baby. Right? Yeah. yeah, one of the things, I mean, that I I think back on this metaphor all the time is that, you know, a, a pitcher that is empty cannot fill um, another glass, you know? So if you're, if you're a parent and, you know, you're just, you don't feel like you have the resources, you just feel completely wrung out you're not able to give to your children, your family, the way that you would like to. And so that's our, I mean, that's our ultimate goal is to reduce the stress the parents feel because we have found um, and research backs this up. I mean, more and more is that the, the higher incidence of stress the parents have, the higher likelihood it is that children um, are going to experience um, developmental delays, child abuse, there's a huge correlation between positive outcomes for children and the stress of the parents. Yes, absolutely. And it starts already in pregnancy. I know that they very stressful pregnancy is often correlated with uh, mental health issues later for the child in during childhood and adolescence. Right. Right. So, absolutely. yeah, parents need a lot more support than what they currently have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But the good thing is that there has been other communities who are also setting up their own many mothers. Am I correct? How many of these exist currently? Yeah, um, we have about six listed on our website, but but our founder, Anne McCormick, um, she actually wrote a guide for other groups to start their own volunteer-based um, in-home support program for new parents. And we've given that guide out, I want to say to about 35 groups, and I know of at least... 10 or 12 that that are you know thriving and successful um across the US and then someone reached out oh gosh a woman reached out recently she was european but she was living i want to say it was like pakistan it was somewhere in the middle east and okay. she wanted to start um a similar program out there um so i gave her the guide and you know i just asked her to keep in touch so it's yeah it's it's a it's a it's a very i mean it's on paper, it's very simple, you know, you, I mean, how, how this program works and yet the impact can be enormous and spread out um, into many different areas because, you know, we know that, you know, if, if children have a healthy, safe start, they're more likely to, you know, have um, successful futures. Yes. They're more likely to thrive. And that's why I'm surprised that uh, governments know that they need to support children. So childcare is important. Schools are important. But they still don't understand that they need to support parents more. Because if they do that, the children are going to thrive. It's not enough if they're thriving in school. They need to be able to have a a safe family home. And families need to be, parents need to be educated. It's not like we're learning this in school, how to be a good parent and how to, you know, how to manage stress and how to so many things. I've been hopeful that, you know, parents will start receiving the support they need because we've all seen during COVID just how, um, how strained families have been, you know, especially, you know, a two parent household, both people are working full time and, you know, kids were home for the better part of two years. Um, I know here in the U.S., our current, you know, administration is trying to pass some measures that can um, better, better support parents like, you know, paid leave. It's, it's, it's so strange to me that, you know, we don't let parents have babies and have 
mandated paid time off. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's very, it's very slow going in this country. And I don't know what it's like in, um, in European countries. I've heard it's better. And so that's, uh, um, that gives me a lot of hope. It's much better, but it depends on the country. The UK mm-hmm. has less. Austria, where I currently live, they are very generous. They have up to two years of maternity leave. And then mothers can just go back to their jobs. It's a very family-centric culture. And many mothers actually only go back part-time or they don't go back at all. And uh, they take care of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, But that becomes a problem when it comes to older age and pension, because there is a huge pension gap between men and women. So, yes, families are thriving and the kids are doing fine. But at the end of the day, the woman pays the price. Because if if the marriage breaks down, there is a divorce. Or if the husband passes, then where does that leave her? So this, this is very complex yeah, I don't know what the answer is to this one. No, there's, it's, yeah, I mean, there are no um, easy answers, but I, I mean, I look around the United States and I, I, I feel, I mean, I hate to say this, but it sounds hopeless, but, and I don't mean it that way, but I, I feel in many ways like our culture is, is breaking down. And I, I think a lot of it goes back to not having a community support, not, not, not being a family-centric culture. It's a very, you know, me-focused, I mean, individualistic culture. And there's some, some wonderful um, uh, innovations that come from that. And yet at the same time, it's, um, there's a lot of systemic problems we have because we don't have a sense of uh, um, community. And many mothers, I think uh, where we live um, in our small community helps um, to create that, um, I mean, especially for, you know, we, many of the families we work with are, um, immigrant families and, you know, they move here and, and they don't have a, um, a support system. And, um, many of the volunteers who support families, um, end up becoming lifelong friends with the families they support. So we're, you know, trying to create that, that sense of a greater family, even if it's not your birth family. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. So if someone is listening to this conversation and being inspired by it and they would like to set up something in their own community, how can they do that? Sure. They can just um, go to our website. Uh, It's manymothers.org. They can email us. Our information email address is info, I-N-F-O, at manymothers.org. Or they can also call I'm going to find the number here. Uh, I think it's uh, it's in the U.S., so it's one five zero five nine eight three five nine eight four, and that's just a general voicemail line. Um, they can leave a message, and uh, someone will uh, will get back to them in a few days. Okay, and so there is kind of a, a blueprint that they can follow that you can give them, and then. Mm-hmm. Do they have some kind of hand-holding that goes with it until they set up their own support group or in practice, how does it work? Yeah, um, you know, mostly, yeah, we give the guide um, out to um, other groups. And then, I mean, I'm more than happy to share all of our, uh, I mean, our application materials, our um, program um, guidebooks, I mean, all of our um, internal systems um, that we use um, to keep track of 
uh, families and volunteers. Um, more than happy to share that with people as well. And then, yeah, some of the groups that have started based on our model, um, we're in touch with them um, a couple times a year. You know, they might call just to ask questions. And um, one thing I would love to start is, you know, maybe an annual conference where all of the different groups can um, get together and share um, best practices. And that's, yeah, that's probably, you know, at least a year away if uh, we start that. I mean, I'd love to start that. But I'm sure that that would be a very nice way of keeping the this community together and sharing best practices and everything. That sounds wonderful. Absolutely. About the financial bits, uh, how how can many mothers stay afloat? Where is the money coming from to make this all happen? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a hard one. That's uh, it's mostly my job and it's 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 ongoing all the time. Um we um we have a number of um funders uh, that we work with, local foundations, national foundations. We do get some funding from our local government, so Santa Fe County, um, a little bit from the city, sometimes the state. Um, we don't go after any federal um, United States funding just because it's so complicated. Um, and then just a number, I mean, we're, we're lucky. We live in a community with, you know, um, there are a lot of very generous, uh, very wealthy people out here. And so it's just, you know, a lot of getting the word out and, um, you know, donors um, hearing about us and, Uh, wanting to donate. In the last three years, our budget has tripled. It was about $100,000 three years ago. Now it's $300 and something thousand dollars. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to raise that every year just to keep, you know, um, keep things going. People see the value in these services and I think they're more likely to, to give when they see that you do make a huge difference in the lives of these people. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much, uh, Antoinette, for sharing your thoughts with us. Of course. I thank you for the, the time and the, yeah, the generosity. Appreciate it. And thank you for the wonderful work that you do, because it's really making a difference to, to many, many families out there. Mm-hmm. And hopefully soon globally, if there are organizations mm-hmm. like this popping up in other countries. My dream is to see this in every community, because there is mm-hmm. a huge need and it would be wonderful. Yeah, that's my dream too. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today, Antoinette. And thank you for listening, everyone. This was the Wellbeing in Focus podcast with Gabriela Campelli-Ignaz. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.